In this episode, is every market saturated? Is there still room for you? This is Mega Maker, episode nine. <laughs> Hey, how's it going, folks? Welcome back to the Mega Maker Show. Uh, I want to jump right into things today because I'm fired up. I've got uh, a lot on the brain. Just to catch you up quickly, we are talking about self-publishing this week. I'm going to be uh, self-publishing a book on February 10th. But I think the questions we're going to address today really are for anybody that is trying to make something, anyone who's trying to find a thousand fans, uh, anyone who's trying to build an audience. So let's jump right into these questions. Let's start with this one from Hamish. If I don't have a popular blog or a you know big email list, am I still able to launch a book successfully? All right. So just flag that in your mind. Here's another one from Dason that I think is related. I want to know, will people be interested in what I teach and am I worthy of what I am teaching? Now, both of these questions kind of hit me hard because there's a blog post by Chris Gillibo just came out. The post is called The New New Economy, How the World of Online Publishing is Changing and Why You Should Care. And Chris is a guy we should pay attention to because his book, The Art of Nonconformity, really encouraged a lot of people to get into self-publishing, to write their own books. And the thesis of this blog post is that the thought leader space is oversaturated. He says, what happens when large numbers of people all pursue the same goal? Funny enough, they all pursue the same strategies to achieve that goal. They all set out to build a following and create a platform for themselves. And they all write ebooks. And what he's saying here is he's been doing this for a while and he thinks that it is a lot harder to do what he did years ago now than it was when he started. And so when Hamish asks, you know, do I need to have a popular blog or a big following to become a self-published author? And then when Dason asks, you know, how do I know that I've got the expertise and that people will listen? I want to take those questions seriously. And what I don't want to do is just refer to my experience or the experience of my friends and peers, because I think there is a strong chance of survivorship bias there. And what do I mean by that? Well, in American culture, we typically focus on the people who are the winners, the successful. So we say, if you want to learn how to be successful at X, go and look at people who are successful at that thing. In fact, we double reinforce this because the people who are successful are encouraged to share how they got successful. So we have it from both sides. We're seeking out the people that are successful, trying to learn from them, and they are all too happy to share their secrets with us. And what that advice typically looks like is here are the steps to success or here are the steps I followed to achieve my success. And on one hand, this is helpful because if you're starting from nothing, it's helpful to know where should you start first? What can you try first? But on the other hand, it can be extremely unhelpful and even toxic because there's this underlying promise that if you follow these steps, you will also be successful. So when Hamish asks me, if I don't have a popular blog or a you know, big email list, am I still able to launch a book successfully? Part of my honest answer has to be, I, I don't know. The tricky part about putting creative work out into the world is that 
it's not a meritocracy. Not all creative work is received the same way. And there are many, many factors that go into something being a success or something not working out. This is the point that Darius Kazemi gets into in his brilliant XOXO talk called How I Won the Lottery. I believe that beyond a certain threshold of work that you put into your projects, success is entirely out of your hands. So even though I believe there are principles and tactics that creative people can employ to better reach an audience and create things that people actually want and need... On the other hand, I have to temper all that by saying there is this other factor called luck and called context and called privilege, and we generally don't want to talk about those things because we like to believe in this rugged individualism, which means that anybody can achieve anything that they want, no matter what. But I know that's not true. So my challenge right now at 5 minutes 30 seconds into this podcast is part of me does not know what to tell you. It'd be kind of like a young heavyweight boxer going up to Muhammad Ali and saying, man, give me the secrets of how you beat George Foreman. What helped Muhammad Ali way back then is likely not going to help you in this current context. My goal for the show is that you would learn something, that you would be inspired to make your own things. But one thing I don't want to do is pretend or give off the appearances of me having magical fairy dust or that there is even magical fairy dust that you can get sprinkled on you and all of a sudden have, you know, some form of success. Uh, That's not how it works. What I think we can do right now is explore, you know, my experience and the experience of my friends and try to tease out the principles that might be more timeless than others. So here's a few I thought of, and these apply to you whether you're writing a book or creating any sort of art or thing. I think these are pretty universal. The first one I call burning desire or hair on fire. And what that means is you have to target something that is either a burning desire that a lot of people share or a huge pain, a hair on fire problem that a lot of people have. By the way, the hair on fire metaphor comes from my friend Patrick McKenzie. And what it means is that what is the number one or two issue in someone's life that they would really like to solve right now? So don't write a book about something that people don't care about, essentially. And, you know, that seems rational, but it's amazing how often folks just choose something um, that doesn't have any sort of apparent demand. But when you can hit on an issue that a lot of people feel strongly about, you are increasing your chances that people will talk about it. You're increasing your chances that people will want the eventual thing that you produce in response to that. The second piece of advice is you really do have to figure out some way of building some sort of audience, some sort of waiting list, some sort of connection with a group of people that care about what you're making. And we talked a little bit about this last episode, megamaker.co slash eight. I think one myth that creative people believe is that if they build something that is of high quality, 
people will just find it because it is so well made. And in my experience, that just hasn't been true. I think there are exceptions to that, but I, I just have not seen it happen very often. What I do see happen is people figuring out different ways to connect with an audience and then have a way of communicating or reaching that audience in an efficient way. And most of the people I know have achieved that by building up some sort of email list. And again, we talked about that with Nathan Barry last episode. Um, Go and check that out. And my last bit of advice uh, is a response to a question from Josh Duty. I've already written my book, Fearless Salary Negotiation, and it's out there. How do I find those people who need salary negotiation advice at the moment when they most need that advice? This is the question that we're all asking. Once I've created something, how do I let people know about it? How do I connect with the people that need it right now or want it right now? And obviously, if the answer was easy then everybody would be doing it. Uh, anyone from you know individual makers like you and I all the way up to big corporations. But the truth is we all struggle with this. So first of all, I'll say, make sure you have something that people desperately want. If you're trying to promote something that people just kind of want or you know maybe want, it, it's just not going to work the same as having something that people really, really, really want to get their hands on. The second thing I'll say is that finding those channels to the people that care is the game. That is the challenge for each of us as makers. And it's almost impossible to give general advice about it because you have to kind of intimately know that group of people so you know where you're going to find them, where you're going to run into them. So just like Muhammad Ali had to figure out how he was going to beat George Foreman, what weaknesses George Foreman had, how he could use his strengths against Foreman, you have to kind of do the same thing when you're trying to find a channel that's going to work for the thing that you've made. And to be honest, this book I'm writing, uh, Marketing for Product People, goes through a bunch of ideas of places to start, but really... To make any of those work for you, you need to get out and actually try things. You try things, you see what works, you see what didn't, you iterate, and you just keep trying and trying and trying. And eventually, your kind of competitive advantage as a maker is that you're going to understand your audience, your people, better than anyone else. And so that would be my advice is just to go out and see how you can help those people, see how you can build relationships with those people and just give and give and give, make connections. And it might take months and it might take years, but that connection is the key part between the making of something and then actually being able to distribute it to people that care. This is hard work. There's no guarantees. And you really have to decide if it's something that you feel is worth pursuing because there are easier things to do in life. It is easier to not try to make things for people. It is easier to not try to connect with people. It is easier to just keep all the things you make to yourself. But I think it's worthwhile. I think it's worthwhile sharing the things we create with the world. I think it's worthwhile helping people who have genuine needs. 
I think it's worthwhile bringing things of beauty into this world and having other people enjoy them. And if you feel the same way, then don't give up. Like my sister Sarah said last episode, It is always, always worth pursuing the things that you love because otherwise, what is the point of waking up in the morning every day? So pursue the things you love and be as creative as you can trying to make it work. Whew. Well, folks, I realize this episode is a little bit more uh, ranty, maybe, than a normal episode. I hope you liked it. I hope it was at least thought-provoking. If you want to talk to me about it or just say, hey, I listened to the show, tweet me, the letter M, the letter I, Justin. That's M-I, Justin, on Twitter. Uh, this theme music we're listening to right now is by Stryker. And uh, I know a lot of you don't like metal, and a lot of you like different kinds of metal, but this is one of my favorite bands, and they've been nice enough to provide this song for use on the show, and they're coming out with a new album, and I would love for you to support them at striker-metal.com. Even if you just go there and buy this song, Bad Decisions, on iTunes, that would be amazing. Uh, Our podcast hosting is provided by Simplecast.fm. They provide all the hosting and all of the stats. And talking about stats, iTunes is now the number way people are finding in the show. And that's thanks to you folks because you've been leaving reviews at megamaker.co slash review. Keep doing that. If you haven't left a review yet, that really helps other people find the show. And we are getting higher and higher in the new and noteworthy rankings. On the next episode, we're going to go through how to do a book launch, what tools I use to write the book. So there'll be a lot of practical tips uh, for those of you that are writing your own book right now or would like to. Uh, If you have questions, you can go to megamaker.co slash question and uh, ask them as a voicemail and they might get played on the show. All right. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you on Wednesday. Hello, and welcome to Books on Transcendental Meditation, where every week we review a book on relaxation, breathing, and self-awareness. My name is Chaz. That's Cha, with a whole lot of Z at the end. Before we start, let's take a moment to breathe, shall we? Breathe in. Hold, hold, hold a bit longer. Hold on, I I just need to reply to this text. Hold, and now exhale. (sighs) Ah, good. Now today's book is called Marketing for Product People. Uh, wait a second. Rick, what, what is going on here? What is this book? This, this is not Transcendental Meditation. Sorry, Chaz. That's the sponsor. Rick, I can't read this on the air. This is garbage. This is marketing trash. This is against everything I believe in. It's it's making me tense, Rick. It's making me tense. I can't breathe right now. I can't... Okay, just let me... Uh, Chaz, are you holding your breath again? 
Chaz. Chaz. Oh, great. He's passed out again. Guys, can you get him some water?